Today we're talking about uh, who is Jesus. And so like, everybody has different ideas about who Jesus is. Sometimes Jesus might be singing lead for Leonard Skinner or something like that. But like everyone has some different ideas about this. And so this is what we're going to talk about. I'm really excited about this topic because I think it's really important. I'm going to say more words about that in a second. But first, let me introduce myself. My name is Jake. I'm uh, one of the pastors of Midtown Church. And as you heard Beth say, like we're a six-week-old church. And so if you're new with us this week or, or uh, one of the first times you've been back with us, I just want to say we really are glad that you're here. And um, what we're doing is we're, we're in the middle of a series that's uh, tied to this thing called Explore God. This is a really big initiative that's happening within churches, all different denominations in the city of Austin, really uh, inviting the city of Austin, inviting everybody into a conversation about some of the biggest questions in regards to spirituality and really specifically Christianity. And so we've been tackling some big questions in this series. And today's question is, is Jesus really God? And I think that that question could be the most important question of all. And it's a, I think it's a really relevant question because it's something that we think about. And I think it's something that in our society, like gets a lot of talk time, like gets a lot of attention. Like uh, right now, you might be aware that there are two books on the bestsellers list that there are really uh, people venturing an answer to that question, like who is Jesus? So you have Reza uh, Aslan's book, a zealot. Maybe some of y'all have read that one. And that's his, you know, thoughts on like who Jesus was. And, and then you have, uh, Bill O'Reilly's book, Killing Jesus. And in that you have his thoughts on who maybe Jesus was. And it's really interesting. I was reading a New York Times, um, book review on the book Zealot, Reza Aslan's book. And it started this way. It said, Jesus, the loving shepherd, bringer of peace and justice, teacher of universal morals. Jesus the rabbi, Jesus the philosopher, Jesus the apocalyptic prophet, Jesus the Christ of faith. People have constructed many different Jesuses. That's a good word, right? Jesuses. But isn't that true? Like all different ideas about who Jesus is. And so like I think that uh, we're smart to give some time to this question and to think about this. And so like this week, for those of you who don't know, like part of Explore God isn't uh, just what we do on Sundays, but uh, during the week we get together in homes and we hang out together and we do dinner together and we have conversations on the topic of the week. So this past week we got together in our homes and we had dinner and we had our friends over and our neighbors over and we started talking like, who is Jesus? And it was a really great conversation. And today we're continuing that by uh, really looking at what the Bible, how the Bible would answer that question and how Christianity answers this question. But it's a huge question. And it's, I think we're smart to give some time to this. Because if you think about the ramifications of this question, like if Jesus actually is God, then what does that mean? Did you know that Jesus is the only religious leader of a major world religion that actually claimed to be God? Do you know that? Like I, I heard that a few years ago, and I just I hadn't ever really thought much about that. And so like think about Buddha. Buddha never claimed to be God. Like uh, Muhammad never play, uh, claims to be God; he just claims to be a prophet for for the for God, Allah. Uh, Moses, who many uh, in the Jewish faith look to as the leader of that, like he never claimed to be God. Only Jesus, of all the major world religions, he's the only religious leader that also claimed to be God. And if that's true, then it seems like it's at least worth exploring to see if there's any validity to his claim on that. And also, especially or especially so, because if he actually is God, 
then doesn't that answer a lot of our questions? Like even a lot of the questions we've been asking in this whole series, like, is there a God? Well, if Jesus was God, then we can know there is a God. What about pain and suffering? Well, if Jesus was God, then we know that God cares and that he entered into our pain and suffering to put an end to it eventually and to be with us in the midst of it. Like that brings a lot of peace and comfort. Like if Jesus is God, then we can say that we know that there is a God and we can know what God is like. Man, that seems so important, doesn't it? For us to at least explore, can we know if Jesus is God? So here's, here's what I want to do. And I hope that this is going to be helpful for you guys. And I was thinking about, like, how do you talk on this subject? And this subject is really very personal, isn't it? Like, each one of us needs to make up our own mind about who Jesus was or who Jesus is. And so I thought, well, what if, what if y'all would just go along with me today? If I just was to share personally about how I arrived to the conclusion that I arrived on. Now, y'all know I'm a pastor. I believe that Jesus is God. So you might feel like I'm really biased in that conclusion. But please believe me. I would have never chosen this profession. And I would never live my life the way that I live my personal life if I hadn't first really wrestled with this specific question. Like, it's not like I just found myself in the ministry. I chose that, and in choosing it, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't going to spend my entire life wasting it and pointing people in a wrong direction. It's like I really wrestled with this question, and what I want to do this morning is just take you along with me and how I personally arrived to the conclusion that I arrived at. And hopefully, for the Christians in the room, this can be helpful in in helping you examine your faith and maybe for you to think about, like, well, how did I arrive to the decision I've arrived at? And for the non-Christians in the room, if you're exploring, if you're seeking, or you're just checking this out, man, hopefully this could be helpful for you as well. And to give you a chance to maybe have some of your questions answered by how you hear, like, like if we have similar questions and how I answered my questions. And so I hope this will be helpful. But, uh, so I want to just begin with kind of the, the two big questions that I set out to answer in regards to this topic when I was trying to figure out, like, is Jesus really God? And the first two questions, I think I have them up there. Yeah, this is working. Sweet. Thanks, Jason. No PowerPoint wasn't working earlier. Now it is. Miracles. Jesus is God. Done. Okay, it wasn't that simple for me. But um, the basically, the two questions for me was, did Jesus actually claim that he was God? Or is that just an idea uh, or a legend or a myth that was introduced later? That, that felt like a really big question for me. And then the second big question was, if he did claim that he was God, then what reasons are there, if any, to, to, that would cause us to actually believe him? So those, those were like the two major questions. Now, there was sub-questions to all of those questions. And so like we're going to walk through this, and, and hopefully I can move fast enough, but not move too fast so we don't lose anybody. But let's jump into this. So the first question, did Jesus actually claim that he was God? Because this is big, right? Because if Jesus didn't actually think that he was God, like he didn't say that, then why should I think that he was God, right? And that's, that was at least my, my thoughts on this. So I'm like, it's important to me that I would know that Jesus actually thought that he was God and he actually voiced that to people. And so I, I started thinking, all right, how would I know that? How would I know if he said that? And so you go to the Bible and you think, this is what he said. 
But then it's like, well, but like, how do I know if the Bible was true and like when that was written and all that kind of stuff. And so that's where I started exploring. And what I found is that when it comes to the question, did Jesus actually claim to be God? My first initial answer to that was yes, if, right? Yes, he did. If the Bible's reliable and what we have in there are actually the words of Jesus. So let's begin, let me break that down, begin with the the yes part. So uh, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to John chapter 10, or you can follow along on the screen. I've got it up there, but I'm just going to quickly talk on uh, two things where we see Jesus really claiming to be God. First, in John 10, in verse 27, he says this, maybe. Right. If if this is actually his words, but this is what's at least recorded in uh, in John chapter 10, verse 27. He says this, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Okay, don't brush over that. that. Those seems like big statements like I give eternal life to people like to make sure they never perish. Like, all right, that that seems kind of a big statement, but he keeps going. He says, um, uh, verse 29, uh, my father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. Well, that, that seems like a pretty strong claim that he and the father are one. Maybe he's actually saying that he's God. Let's see how the people who heard him say this respond to him. So in verse 31, continue, says, the Jews who he was speaking to picked up stones again, to stone him. And Jesus answered them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? And the Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Well, okay. That seems like a pretty strong claim then, that he was claiming that he was God, and the people he was saying that to understood that that's what he was saying to the point that they would you know, say he's blaspheming and should die. Other, other passages, and we're not going to look at them, but uh, you, you can go to the accounts both in Matthew and Mark of Jesus walking on water, and he reveals to, to disciples when they're afraid, fear not, for I am, and he takes on the very name of God. In the, given in the Old Testament to Moses in the burning bush, when Moses, if you're familiar with that whole story, says, like, who shall I tell Pharaoh to sent me? And God says, tell, I, I am sent you. That's the name. Well, Jesus takes that name upon himself. He, Jesus does that also in John chapter 8, saying that he actually has the same name as God, like he is I am. And so, like, these are big statements. Another thing for me when I was looking at it is, like, did Jesus actually claim to be God? One of the things that Jesus t- uh, called himself always had confused me. And perhaps if you read the Gospels, you felt this way as well. Like one of the, actually, the most popular title that Jesus uses for himself is the title Son of Man. And I always thought, well, like if Jesus was God, like why didn't he call himself Son of God? Like that's what we call him. And in fact, a lot of the, the apostles, like a lot of the writing in the New Testament, they refer to Jesus as the Son of God. Very few of them ever refer to Jesus as the Son of Man. And yet that's how Jesus always referred to himself, or not always, but 80 times in the gospel accounts. That's how he referred to himself. So that always confused me. It's like, well, that seems to be playing up more his humanity than his divinity. Why would he use that title? 
And then someone pointed out to me a passage in the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 7, 13, and 14. I have it up here for you. This is a passage in which you get the name Son of Man that Jesus takes upon himself. It says this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away in his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Now, this passage, this idea, the, the Son of Man, is really shown to be a divine character. Someone who has everlasting dominion, that rules over everyone. Uh, we're like this, that applying to this title, uh, this, that title to himself, Jesus is saying that he is the one that is given universal authority and dominion. The Son of Man was a divine figure who would come at the end of the world to judge mankind and rule forever. Thus, the claim to be the Son of Man would have been, in effect, a, a very direct claim to divinity. And so, though it's kind of hard to see it on the surface level, when you see that he's attaching that to this prophetic passage in Daniel, he is saying, I'm God. I have forever, like I have dominion over all things. I will forever reign. And that's the title that Jesus uses of himself 80 times. I feel like that's very significant. So did Jesus claim to be God? Yes. You see in these passages, I could point to many other things. Yes, he did. Does that matter? I don't know. And for my journey, like for when I was thinking about this stuff and in my journey, I had to say, okay, I clearly see that the Bible claims that Jesus is God, but did he claim that he was God or did someone write that in later? And so then I began asking, like, how can I, how can I know if this text is reliable? Did someone put these words in Jesus' mouth? Or did Jesus actually say these things? And next week, guys, we're going to give a whole week to the topic, is the Bible reliable? And uh, it's a super important question. I've, I've heard from a lot of y'all. I know that this is a question that a lot of y'all have wondered about. So we're going to talk about that all next week. But for me in my journey, I couldn't dissect the question, is Jesus God, from the question, is the Bible reliable? And so I'm not going to expect y'all to be able to do that. And so I'm not going to say, well, come back next week and we'll talk about that. So I, but I, I don't have enough time to really get into all of that. And so I just want to quickly highlight a few things that gave me some confidence that I could actually believe that the Bible is reliable and that Jesus actually did say these things. And so um, the first thing was, or I guess I would say the big question for me was, was there enough time for myth and legend to creep in between when Jesus you know, supposedly said these things and when these things were recorded. Like, if Jesus, who lived, you know, up to about 30 or 33 AD, many, or really most scholars say that he either died in 30 AD or 33 AD. So if Jesus died in 33 AD, and then the, the records of Jesus, what, how his, like the, his biographies, if you will, the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and like, if those weren't written until like, 150, 170, 
200 AD, then it would seem to me that there's good reason to believe that there was time for myth or legend to creep in and people started putting words in Jesus' mouth that he never said himself. And so I wanted to know how close were the gospel accounts written to when Jesus actually lived and said these kind of things. And so I began to study that. And here's what I found. What I found is that that the standard uh, scholarly dating like even in secular circles, is that Mark was written in the 70s, Luke was written in the 80s, and John was written in the 90s. And yet, and like that's, that's the, like the late estimate, there are many, 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 many scholars that believe that there's great reason for, uh, that, to believe that all the Gospels were written at, uh, before 70 A.D., uh, they point to a number of things. One of the things that is compelling to me is that in 70 AD is when uh, the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed, the Jewish-Roman War. And like the temple was a huge thing uh, in, in Jerusalem and in for, for Jews. And it was a big thing for Christians because they came most from a Jewish heritage. So it would still meant something to them. But also because Jesus actually prophesied, and you see it in the number of the gospel accounts, that the temple would actually be destroyed. And it seems weird that in the Gospels and in the whole New Testament, there's absolutely no mention of the destruction of the temple. Like, why leave that out? Because it was such a current event, and it would only have added credential to Jesus if he had called that shot, if you will. If he had prophesied that and then it came to pass. It would only help people believe it if he had written that in there. But there's no mention of the destruction of the temple. And so many people say that's one reason to think that all of the gospel accounts were written uh, before 70 AD. However, let's just, let's just take the more like uh, liberal uh, idea of maybe they were written as like Mark in the 70s, Luke in the 80s, uh, John in the 90s, that, that kind of deal, and see what happens. Either way, you're left with about a 30 to 60 year gap between when Jesus died and when the Gospels were written. The 30 to 60 years. Jesus died in the 30s. Mark may be written in the 70s. Right? That makes sense? 30 to 60 year gap. Okay. Is that long enough for legend to creep in? That's the big question. And that I personally concluded, and you might not be willing to go there, but like I personally concluded that it was not long enough. And the reason that I concluded that is because it was still within that time period, there were still eyewitnesses of Jesus' life that were still alive at that time. Like that 30 to 60 year gap would still allow for there to be people that were alive when Jesus was alive to be able to validate or invalidate the claims that Jesus actually said he was God and then later on that he actually died and that he rose again. And so personally for me, that meant something. I think that it would make a little bit more of a leap if it was past when the first eyewitnesses would have been around. Like if it was a second generation that then wrote it down and there was no one living at that time that was around with Jesus, then it would make it harder for me to actually believe that. But since it was still when Jesus' peers and people that saw him walk and heard what he said were still alive when these were penned, then it made me think, man, that, that seems like there's some validity there. 
It seems like that could be trusted. It seems like it's really hard for myth and legend to be introduced for people that were alive at the time that Jesus was actually alive. It's, uh, it's interesting. I was thinking about this, and I don't, I don't know if this is helpful at all, but like, you know, uh, JFK was assassinated about uh, 50 years ago, uh, this, this year, last year. And uh, last year, Bill O'Reilly wrote another book, Killing John F. Kennedy, Killing Kennedy. And uh, let's just pretend that if in that book, O'Reilly had claimed that Kennedy was God, and that he actually said that he was God, and that he actually said that he could forgive sins, and that he claimed that, that Kennedy, not only when he was assassinated, not only did he die when he was assassinated, but he actually rose again, and like lots of people saw him. Like, what would we, what, how would we respond to that book being published? First of all, it probably would never be published. But if it was published, how would it be received? It would be received as a comedy, right? It would be received kind of like uh, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Slayer was received, right? <laughs> it's like, okay, yeah, 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 this is, this is entertaining, but not truth. What would have to happen for you to actually begin to believe what O'Reilly wrote? You think, well, I don't think there's anything that would cause me to believe that. But if there was something, would it not be that if you actually went to the witnesses that he says were a lie, like, that he points to that said they saw J.F. Kennedy alive after he was shot, would you want to at least go ask them? Wouldn't you go to his, his, his like, uh, sister or go to his daughter and say, did your dad ever claim to be God? Because, I mean, they're still alive. And so you could go ask them. Well, that's, that's like, that seems real similar to, to here. If it, because there were still eyewitnesses when the Gospels were written, then people could go validate the claims. Did Jesus actually say that? Did Jesus actually rise again? And personally, like I said, for me, it caused me to say, man, okay, maybe, maybe it was too early for myth and legend to creep in. Maybe these words were actually Jesus' words. Maybe he really did claim that he was God. And for me, at that point in time, that was a, a really big uh, conclusion. Because what it, that conclusion does, the, the idea that Jesus actually did claim to be God, it, it rules out the other real popular view about who God was. I mean, about who Jesus was. See, the two most popular views about Jesus is either that Jesus is God or that Jesus was a great moral teacher. And yet, when you believe, and like I thought, like personally, I feel like there's evidence to believe that Jesus actually claimed to be God, then it causes you to really wrestle with, like, could he possibly have been a good moral teacher if that was not true? And I found C.S. Lewis's quote. Many of y'all probably heard this from his book, Mere Christianity, but I found this really helpful at that time. Uh, C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He'd either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, which is so random, or else he would be the devil of hell. 
you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with this patronizing nonsense that he is being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us and he did not intend to. And this is often referred to as the liar, lunatic, Lord argument. But when I was ready to say, like, it seems like because of when the, the gospel accounts were written, how close proximity to Jesus' life, and that there's still eyewitnesses could, that could validate or invalidate it. And it seems that it caused me to think, I think Jesus actually said this. And if Jesus really did say he was God, then this really comes into play. Because he can't, he can't be a good person if he's leading all these people astray. And he's claiming to be someone who's not. That's what a liar is. Someone who claims to be something that he's not. And if Jesus is this great moral person, then he shouldn't be a liar in his essence. And so it caused me to rule out that he could possibly be a moral teacher if he claimed to be God like I thought he does, like I think he does. So I was left with, okay, well, either he is a liar or he's a lunatic or maybe he's God himself, which led me to my next big question. My next big question was, did Jesus do anything that would validate the idea that he was God? Did he actually do anything to back up his claims that he is God? And there's a whole lot of ways you can answer this question. I don't have enough time to go through all the things that I began looking at for evidence that would back up this, this, uh, his claim. One of them, though, that I'll mention was prophecy. And like prophecy, I don't know how that strikes you. It feels like kind of weird for me and all that stuff. But like it's really worth examining. In fact, uh, there's a pastor in our city, John Burke, who just did a message on, is Jesus really God? And the whole message she gave was on how Jesus fulfilled prophecy. And it was really, really insightful. And I'm going to put that site on our website. I'm going to give a link to that. But if y'all want to just search it, it's Gateway Church, John Burke. You can watch, is Jesus really God on their video? And you can see how prophecy might substantiate Jesus' claim that he was God. But for me personally, the number one thing that really caused me to believe that Jesus was actually God was the resurrection. See, the resurrection, as we we know, is, is, is the idea that Jesus, when he was killed, did not stay dead, but on the third day, he actually rose from the grave. And this idea of Jesus' resurrection... What I found very helpful because something unique about Christianity, if I can be so bold as to say this, but Christianity, one thing that sets it apart from other world religions is that it's really based on a historic event of something that either did or did not happen. And because it's based on a historic event, you can actually look at evidence to try to determine for yourself, did that happen or did that not happen? where other religions are really based on a set of moral teachings or uh, uh, off of the witness of someone who solely experienced a conversation with God and then turned around and told everybody else about that conversation. And those kind of things, like moral teaching and philosophy or just one person's experience that he relays to other people, like I don't know how you could ever validate or invalidate those claims. But when it comes to Christianity... 
when it says that Jesus actually lived and he actually died and he actually rose again, that's something that you can look at evidence, historical evidence, and make a judgment on. Is there proof? Is there any proof for me to make a conclusion that he actually did come back to life? Now, for, for me, when I started looking into that, I was set, like, this has got to be some really compelling evidence. For me to believe that a dead man came back to life, like, it, like I'm not going to just take that on blind faith. Because I know, and I, y'all, I'm sure you reason a similar way, but like, I know that it's possible for people to get their facts wrong or to tell lies. That makes sense to me. I know that's very plausible. And I also know that it's not possible for dead men to come back to life. That's not plausible. Like that, and so it's like, well, this evidence has to be incredibly compelling to go against everything that common sense would tell me. Because common sense would say, people just made this stuff up. So I started looking into this more. It took me back to three things. One, back to the, gospel, back to the, the scripture accounts, the written record. I wanted to know even more. Like, Okay, 30 to 60 years, that, that, too early for legend to creep up. But like if, it's, if, if Dan Man was walking, like if Jesus really died and rose again, they wouldn't wait 30 to 60 years to talk about that. It seems like that would be something people would be talking about right away. Do we have any record that they were? So that was one thing I started looking at too. The, the other thing I started looking into was, can I know if these witnesses, these eyewitnesses, if they really are eyewitnesses, can I know if they're trustworthy? Or did they have an agenda? Like, would they just make this up? And then the other thing I wanted to know is, like, what happened? Like, if people really did see Jesus alive again, like, that would create a stir. Like, what kind of stir, you know, happened? What kind of movement was begun as a result of this claim? Like, was there any, and is there anything there that would substantiate the idea that Jesus actually died and rose again? And so I want to walk through those in less than 10 minutes. We're going to go super fast. Super fast. The first is on the written account. Like I said, is there any reason to think that people were talking about this well before the 30 to 60 year gap? And uh, there's one passage that I found incredibly helpful. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Um, Let me read that for you. In 1 Corinthians 15, you get this passage in, in a letter that Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. And he says this. Starting in verse 3, he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, who's another name for Peter, and then to the twelve. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep, or another way to say, have died. And then he appeared to James, and then to all of the apostles." And in this, this passage, uh, what you see is some technical language and that Paul is using to express something that he received very early on in his faith and then that he is passing on of first importance to the church in Corinth. And that most scholars believe that this is a sign that this was actually a creed within their early church. This is written down one of the major oral um, creeds that people said to each other to, to communicate that Jesus actually died for people's sins. He actually 
uh, was buried, and he actually rose again, and that there are very many witnesses that can verify this account, listing many of them by name, plus 500 more. And so it's like, well, okay, that seems like a big deal. And then I came across uh, an article by Craig Bloomberg. Craig Bloomberg is widely considered to be one of the country's foremost authorities on the biographies of Jesus. And he's a senior research fellow at Tyndale House at Cambridge University in England. He'd done uh, just a ton of research on whether we can trust the, uh, the, uh, the, the biblical accounts about Jesus. And this is what he said. He says, it's important to remember that the books of the New Testament are not in chronological order. The Gospels were written after almost all of the letters of Paul, which appeared during the late 40s and 50s. To find the earliest information, one has to go to Paul's epistles and ask, are there signs that even earlier sources were used in writing these letters? And what we find is that Paul incorporated some creeds and some confessions of faith or hymns from the earliest Christian church. These go way back to the dawning of the church soon after the resurrection. Perhaps the most important creed in terms of the historical Jesus is 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul uses technical language to indicate that he was passing along this oral tradition in relatively fixed form. Paul was given this creed, which had already been formulated and was being used in the early church. Now, and this is Bloomberg making a conclusion, but he says, Now, here you have the key facts about Jesus' death for our sins, plus a detailed list of those whom he appeared in resurrection form, all dating back to within a few years of the events themselves. Many scholars, not all, but many scholars, believe that you can date this creed back to within two to five years of Jesus' death and resurrection. Well, that's way too early for legend or myth to creep in, isn't it? In fact, the the whole creed is really set up to make sure that people know that this is not myth or legend. They're saying, check our sources. Here's who Jesus, when when he rose again, here's who he presented himself to. He presented himself to James. He presented himself to Peter. He presented himself to the disciples. He presented this, this large group of people like, go talk to them. Go ask. Did you actually see Jesus alive after he was crucified? Well, for me, like that, that was helpful. Okay, maybe, maybe people actually saw a dead man walking. Maybe they actually saw Jesus alive again after he was crucified. And people could start asking people. And the reason that this took hold and started spreading so rapidly is because when they checked the sources, the sources said, yeah, absolutely, that's true. But then that got me to the other question. But what if they, what if they were just lying? Like, what if they just, this was a whole scam. Like, what if they just said, let's just pretend that Jesus rose again. We loved his teachings. And if the disciples would say, we loved his teachings. He was such a good person. We loved the truth of everything that he said. Let's make up a big lie so we can make sure that his truth moves forward past the first century. But one, common sense says, that doesn't make sense. Why would they make up a lie to make sure truth goes forward? I, like it just, it just feels weird to me. But the other thing that causes me to think, man, no, no, I think there really is something that they were telling the truth, or, or I guess I would point to two things. One is the, the witness of the women 
in the gospel account. Let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, in all the gospel accounts, the first people that discovered the empty tomb and the first people that Jesus appeared to after having risen from the dead were women, specifically Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James. You can see it in Matthew 28. You can see it in Mark 16. You can see it in Luke 24. Now, the reason this is significant is because in those days, women had such a low social status that it meant that their testimony was not admissible evidence in court. Can you track with that? Like if someone committed a crime and only a woman saw that the crime was committed, that person would go away scot-free because the woman's testimony was not going to be held up in court. It wasn't admissible. Well, if that's the case, then there would be no possible advantage at all for the church to recount that all the first witnesses of Jesus' resurrection were women. Like it doesn't make any sense at all for them to say that. And if you think that they're propagating a lie, they're saying a, making a, up a myth or a legend to see that Jesus' truth goes forward by making up a lie about his resurrection, then why that lie? That lie makes zero sense. Zero sense. Like what would make sense is that Jesus in the Gospels actually said that he would die and rise again three days later. Like he makes that claim while he's alive lots of times. And what would make sense is if what you see is that the, the, if there is a lie, is the apostles all outside of the tomb on the third day, maybe waiting for the sun to rise, and they're counting down from 10. Like 10, 9, 8. Like they're ready. Like that's what's in the gospel accounts. That would make sense. That would make the apostles look like they could be, like they had great faith and they can be trusted because they believed Jesus was God. He was going to rise. But you don't see that at all. In fact, what you see is the disciples are hiding. What you see is that when, when Jesus was arrested and crucified, the disciples scattered. What you see with Peter is that like the, the, the most outspoken one out of all the disciples, what you see in him is that he denies Jesus three times on the night that Jesus was arrested. One time to a middle-aged, a middle school-aged girl. Why write that into the account if it's a myth? Why write up that the women were the first to see Jesus if it was a myth. The only thing that makes sense there is if that's act- they wrote that because that's actually what happened. Like personally, when I read that and I thought about that, I thought, man, that, just, that only makes sense if that's actually what happened. And then just to go on, like the disciples, not only did they like hide <laughs> and they scatter, but then something crazy takes place in their lives. And the only thing that makes sense that caused a change is if they actually saw Jesus alive again. And according to the gospel accounts is that Jesus presents himself to them and then they get really crazy bold. And like in Acts 2 and 3 and 4 and 7 and on and on, what you see is the disciples actually proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus to the very people who actually crucified Jesus, not years before, but mere weeks before. And then the same disciples go on to actually die for this belief. But it wasn't a belief. Not in the way that we think about a belief. Like, think about this for a second. This was helpful for me. People die all the time for things that they believe are true. But people will rarely, 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 rarely ever die for something that they saw 
and knew it was not true or said that they saw but really didn't see and therefore but still die for that. Like people don't die for stuff that they know is not true. And the disciples did not die for something that they simply believed. So they died for something that they saw with their own eyes. And that carried weight with me too. There's a lot more that for me, I looked at and it caused me to, to come to the conclusion, Jesus is God. I don't have time to get into all that. I do want to say, and Adam, I'll say that on, on his behalf, like, being pastors, like one of our very favorite things to do is to actually spend time talking about this stuff. And so if you want to get together and talk like over coffee or, or at our house or whatever, like we'd love to get together with you and keep talking about this and hear your thoughts on it and have a discussion. I also want to invite you to explore God groups because that's what we do every week. We get together for dinner and we have conversation about this. So I want to invite you to that. But there's a lot more to be said on this topic. But before I end, what I want to say is on a different level. So the whole, this whole trip has been me kind of walking through my rational understanding of why I believe Jesus is God. And hopefully it's somewhat helpful. But what I'd ask you for just a second here is instead of letting me talk to your head, let me talk to your heart. And just for a second, let me say, would you be willing to just go there emotionally and, and ask yourself the question, what if this is true? What if? What would it mean? What I think it means, guys, isn't just that Jesus is God, but I think it means that God loves us. And even though we had turned our back on God according to what the Bible says, he didn't stay distant or uncaring, but that he actually entered our world as a man to live the life that we couldn't live and to die the death that we deserve to die. That he pursued us. I think, guys, I think that if we just think about this for a minute, like, what does this mean? I think one of the things we would say it means is that you matter. Like, I matter. Like, I don't know about you, but that's a question of my heart I wrestle with all the time. Do I even matter? Do you have a purpose? And yet, if God would send his son to die for us, then that means that we matter to God, not just to anyone, but to God. What I want to do is end our time by taking communion. Um, and I don't know if the service can get up and pass that out real quick, but... Um, you have a chance to pass, pass out the communion, I want you to get the elements, the, 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 the cup and the bread. I want you to hold on to it for a second. And we're going to take it actually during the first worship song. And so you're going to take it on your own. But while you're waiting for these and while, you're, while you hold them in your hands, I just want you to think about this a little bit more. If, the, if Jesus is God, and what it means is that you're acceptable. Again, I, that's a question of my heart. I always wonder, I, do I do enough? 
Like, is there something in me that would cause me to know, like, I'm acceptable, and not just based on what I do, but, but who, who I am. Like, can I actually be loved, not based on how I perform or how I make people happy or whatever, but can I be loved for who I am, unconditionally, holistically, not just the good, lovely parts, but all of me. And what we see, I think, in Jesus is that the answer is yes, you can be loved. In fact, you are loved, and not just by anyone, but by God himself. Jesus put it this way in John chapter 3, one of the most famous verses of all time. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Yes, what if Jesus is God? Wouldn't that be awesome? On the night that he was going to be betrayed, arrested, falsely tried, and then later crucified, Jesus got together with his disciples and he, his closest friends, and he had one more meal with them. And in that meal... He took some bread and he gave thanks for it and then he broke it and he said to them, this, this, this bread is it's a symbol of my body broken for you. And he tells them to eat the bread as a remembrance of him. And his, the bread is a symbol that Jesus' body was going to be broken. God's body would be broken so that our bodies could be made whole and complete again. He takes the cup and he says, this cup is the cup of the new covenant of my blood. And in that statement, he's saying that this cup is, gonna, is a symbol of when I die and my blood is spilled, it's, it's going to in, create a new relationship, a new covenant between man and God that's not based on what man does for, to, for it to be acceptable by God, but to be based on what God has done for mankind to make us acceptable that Jesus' blood would be spilled so that ours doesn't have to, so that Jesus' life would be lost so that ours could be found. And what I want you to do, guys, is this, during this first song, hang on to this and just think about it. What if? What if you're loved? What if you matter? What if God really does accept you because of what Jesus did for you that he came to rescue you?